0: Lord, we pray, let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords, think through my mind. We thank you, Lord, for utterance of the Holy Spirit, for articulation of your heart. Holy Spirit, we also give you praise and we give you thanks in advance for everything you'll do. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit being in operation and manifestation. You're welcome in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone in agreement did say, Amen. Let's make this confession of faith. Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. I'm a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Therefore, I am a fruitful believer. Well, if you believe it, say amen. amen. Well, welcome to Bible study. We are going to see how far we shall get tonight. Um, uh, realizing that Sunday is coming and then next Thursday we have uh, Thanksgiving. So uh, we shall see how far we get on this evening. Um But let's begin here Uh, in regards to (coughs) this particular area that I want to emphasize as we look at the book of Joshua and Joshua as a man himself. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter number three. Do you have it? All right. Now notice the first verse. It says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven to everything to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven that's the King James Version of the Bible and I like how Dr. Moreau used to say he says time was created for purpose to be fulfilled time was created for purpose to be fulfilled. Tonight we want to look at this area of understanding or uh, interpreting our times. Now I want to preface this by saying I'm not talking in a uh, uh, holistic geo contextual uh, state i.e. I'm not going to be referencing uh, Talking in terms of you know the significance of maybe what's going on in Israel right now, I believe the assignment right at this particular time is to talk about time as it is pertaining to your life, and so we're going to look at that in light of uh, the book of Joshua quite a bit, and we're going to look at some of the um, some of the symbolism I believe that we can find within the book of Joshua. Uh, as it pertains to time. Do you understand? Amen? <laughs> All right. Now, <clears throat> the scripture says, once again, to everything there is a season. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. We understand that time is measured. It is a The measurement of time is is in forms of time is measured by seconds, minutes, and hours. Days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, and millennia, Right? But time is measured also by life yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's the second definition. It's measured by life itself yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But time is also measured in this increments of seasons. Increments of seasons. The word season is defined as a segment of time that happens at a particular period by a particular pattern. A particular period by a particular pattern. In other words, there are certain characteristics that are the same for seasons every single time. Every time we get to the fall, there's an expectation, particularly if you live in this region, the leaves will fall. Now, There's no guarantee that the weather would be cold <laughs> if you live in North Carolina. But there's a guarantee that in the fall, the leaves will fall they will change colors because in the fall season, specifically in this region of the world, um, there is this particular period and particular pattern. In the spring, we recognize that the leaves will return to uh, the trees. Again, we don't know, and the cold and heat used to be a little bit more predictable than it is now, but generally speaking, there are certain patterns we can look at because those are, uh, are consistent with this area of seasons. And I submit to you, so it is within your life, if you learn how to recognize these particular seasons and times that are within your life. <clears throat> Alright, let's flip back if you will, and look at a uh, Exodus chapter number 13. So in light of talking about Joshua, it's important that we understand that Joshua doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. You know, by the time you get to Joshua chapter one, it says, my servant Moses is dead. Now I'm rising. And, and and you get the impression, you know, that some have and maybe perhaps in the past that your leadership just begins one day. And in fact, that's not the case at all with Joshua. That his leadership has an origin and he's connected to the originating generation that came out of Egypt. Right. So look over here, if you will, at Exodus chapter number 13. And let's connect some of these areas together just a bit. The first thing I want you to understand about particularly this area of seasons is is this area of the wilderness. This area of the wilderness. Exodus chapter 13. I'm reading largely out of the uh, New Living Translation. But notice it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not let them go along the main road that runs along the Philistine or the Philistine territory, even though it was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might, notice the word, change their minds and return to Egypt. So he says, verse number 18. So God led them, this translation says, In a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And look at the latter part of verse number 18. How did the Israelites leave Egypt? They did not leave out like slaves. They left out like an army ready for battle. I always found that particular passage of scripture fascinating to everyone that saw Israel leaving out of Egypt. They looked like a conquering army except to themselves. So I submit to you this area of the wilderness represents a time of preparation. The scripture tells us here that God knew that they weren't ready for this battle. Even they look the part they they couldn't deal with one battle. So God looks at them and he says, all right, I am calling for a season within their life. And it's going to be a season that is defined as the wilderness. He says, because of the fact, if the people face a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. In other words, the first fight they have, they'll return back to their defaults. They'll return back to what they're comfortable with. They'll return back to the way they've always done things because of one battle. And God knows this. So he says himself, once again, God led them the roundabout way. The King James says, but God led them, led the people about through the way of the wilderness. The way of the wilderness. He, so it is not something that was an accident accident, but it's something that is strategic and on purpose because the wilderness represents a time of preparation it is a season of preparation that God sends you through and it's something we all need to be aware of you know I mean when you start saying man I seem like I'm in training everywhere and, and there's certain characteristics because you're in the season of preparation and just like Israel we can't skip the line. Now, the interesting thing that every time you read the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy and Numbers, that you'll find is that the prolonged time. What is that? The prolonged time that you have within the wilderness was not God's fault. It was Egypt's fault. (laughs) I mean, rather Israel's fault. So I submit to you that you can have more control over the wilderness experience than you may perhaps think. Maybe your wilderness is going to take a little longer than somebody else's. And a lot of times we think maybe it's God, but maybe sometimes it's us just like Israel. I want you to look at this. There are certain characteristics of the wilderness. The wilderness season uh, can be defined as a desert season or desolate season. Uh, the time of of uh, uh, solitary season, if you will, it is characterized as it can be a time of loneliness when no one you have no one but God. That can be a characteristic of the wilderness. You know, ain't nobody calling. Well, maybe God has you in this time where nobody's supposed to call you. It can be defined as a time when people won't necessarily understand you, necessarily understand you. So you're going somewhere, or, or you feel like you're isolated, but there's a reason for it. Again, everyone that looks at Israel, and this is what we get, you know, the story of Balaam and everything, the donkey. Everybody that looks across that hill and sees Israel, they see them as these are the folks that just slaughtered uh, uh, the, the mightiest, the greatest army in the world, the Egyptian army. But if you get close to them, what you'll find is these are slaves with a slave mentality. That if you went down and said boogie woogie woogie, they said we got to get out of here. We got to go back over here to Egypt. So a time of preparation is where we see again where God's doing some things with you. Another way that we look at it, or this characteristic, is is, is a time, uh, a time of uncertain. Uh, a time of uncertain uh, Uncertainty rather in life It's a time where you're asking God why well, Why does this happen What's going on Jesus uh, I don't know it's a wilderness time These are some generalized Characteristics that you can have Within this season of wilderness That God will send you through And again God sends them through the wilderness And if Jesus had to go Through the wilderness who are you To think that this season will happen Within your life the fourth thing is a time of developing faith over feelings. A time of developing faith over feelings. God is working to prepare you to believe what he says over what you see. It is a time of the wilderness is characterized as a, the wilderness can be, uh, that is, is, is not designed, It's not intended to be long term. The reality of the fact is, The Egyptian generation were always intended to be in the promised land. Moses was never intended to die in the wilderness. He was intended to carry God's people triumphantly into the promised land. He dies in the wilderness because of the people. The people die in the wilderness because of the fact they would not change their thinking in the wilderness. You can... You can lose the destiny that God had for you if you do not gain the things that he is intending you to have within this area of preparation in the wilderness. So the wilderness represents, I believe, a time of preparation. The Red Sea, on the other hand, represents a time of conclusion and rebirth, a time of conclusion and rebirth. uh, Exodus chapter number 14. Take a look at this. Exodus chapter number fourteen. Questions. Well, uh, so the Israel is the like they went through all they went through to come out of Egypt. Hmm Not that generation. The generation that originates as slaves in Egypt die in the wilderness. Well how so how is it because I know we were talking about loyalty Mm -hmm. on Sunday. So how is it that they are expected to maintain loyalty to God that they never see the, the generation that comes out of Egypt Do not have that as an excuse The generation that comes out of Egypt We're talking about the same ones that just saw God Do ten plagues They are the generation that come through the Red Sea They are the generation that are led by a cloud, a cloud by day, fire by night They are the generation that are and We'll get into some of this in a minute Have manna given to them by the hand of God every day there is no excuse for them not to believe God. It is God that comes down on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and, and talks to them and sets up the Ten of Meeting and, and, and sets up the Ten Commandments. That generation to the world outside, they see them as the priest that God has intended them to be because the nation itself was intended to be a nation of priests. And then within that nation of priests, you had the different hierarchies. Now... Let's look as we do in the New Testament. The world looks at the church largely the same way. But if you get into the church and get closer, you'll see some of the things and dysfunction that takes place because you're still dealing with people. But nonetheless, God still strides with all of us. Thank God for it. Amen. (laughs) But from a distance, you know. And I've even seen this, you know. Where, you know, I don't care who you're talking about. You know, the holier people that you think they are, the closer you get, you're like, man, they, yeah, they're human. <laughs> okay. You know, they they just yeah, God's, God's using them, but that doesn't mean they're not human and they're not still growing and developing in their faith as well. Just maybe on a different level than you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. She's starting to become, she's starting to enter into her area of density. Right. Because she knows who God is. Right. And she knows what he's capable of, and she feels like she's done it, but then I'm just kind of like. Well, again, that's the reason why I'm saying uh, the wilderness experience. Now, for Jesus, he goes into the wilderness experience, and he comes out. He is our template. Some folk go into the wilderness experience and they didn't camp out when they were never intended to stay there. But if you don't glean the lessons that you were intended to get in the wilderness, then you'll prolong it. And that is something that we all, now don't, don't get me wrong, now you can't rush out. Cause we all, <laughs> turn that 40 days into one. <laughs> Okay, that, that that that's not that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, again, in the wilderness, if you look at the nation of Israel, they had to learn how to fight. They had to learn how to trust God because all right, let me not get ahead of myself. Let let's 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 keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. Um because I'm looking at we wanna look at these areas of symbolism just a bit uh tonight. That's what I said we'll see how far we get. <coughs> The Red Sea represents, I, I submit to you, a time of conclusion and rebirth. Exodus chapter number 14, verse 28 says this. Then the waters return and cover all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. The Red Sea, we understand because some of this, I don't have to go over by reading every bit of it. We understand the concept. That that they, the children of Israel, are faced with an impossible situation. God opens up the Red Sea, they go through the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and the gang think they're big and bad enough, they can chase them. And it might be within our lives there's some things, some creditors, some areas they think they can chase you. And we gotta understand that the Red Sea represents a time of conclusion. The threat that Egypt was is over in one day. In one day, one instance, all that's over with. We don't hear again Egypt coming against Israel ever again in in, in that, in that story. And I submit to you that's that's what it represents, a time of conclusions within your life, but it also represents a time of rebirth. We also understand that the Red Sea represents a time of of them going in as slaves and supposedly coming out now in the saved position. It is a type and shadow of what we see in the New Testament with the new birth. So... rebirth as i'm using it, is the action of reappearing and starting or to flourish or to increase after a decline it is a revival so the red sea represents a revival within the life of israel so red sea within your life where god says all right that's enough of that this can be an area in your life where god says all right there's that's the conclusion that's not going to hinder you anymore and now you're going to be rebirth into this next area in this next phase Now, the rebirth is usually (coughs) preceded by the wilderness, though. All right? Now, I won't point that out. Now, this sounds great. Except we have to realize what happened. On the other side of the Red Sea was the wilderness. Jesus has an experience with John the Baptist, if you recall. He goes down. He begins, you know, getting ready for the public ministry. He goes down to John the Baptist, and he says, I want you to baptize him. John said, no, who am I to baptize you? And and Jesus said, come on now, boy, now we got to stick with what the word says now. You, You know, we got to fulfill all righteousness in regards to this. And so Jesus gets baptized and the spirit comes down on him as a dove and remains. And we understand that this is a powerful affirmation of his position in ministry. And the next thing that happens is he's led into the wilderness. This is what happens, the rebirthing. And you moving into your area of purpose is usually preceded with, all right, let's go to the wilderness for a time of proving. So, yes, it can be a time in your life where you had a profound time with God. And then right behind that profound time with God, you are like, what in the world? (laughs) It's because the wilderness is intended to develop you and train you. The wilderness is not intended to kill you. It is. Intended to develop you and train you. So our template, again, looking unto Jesus, they often and finisher of our faith, when he comes out of the wilderness, the Bible says he comes out in the power to do the work that God called him to do. We see also in the Old Testament, that's what the Joshua generation looks like. On the other side of the wilderness, I'm jumping ahead, but there is another body of water. And they bowed across it but there's some distinctive differences in regards to how they cross it in the Joshua generation versus how they crossed it in Moses' generation. Let's keep going. Y'all with me? All right. The man and the quail. Exodus chapter number 16. Exodus chapter number 16. It says, like I said, I can't read all this for the sake of time, even though this is Bible study. Exodus chapter number 16. Notice verse fifteen. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it is or what it was, rather. So they see this, this, this these flakes on the ground, and they're trying to determine what, what is it that we are in fact seeing? And Moses said, or oh, Moses told them, "It is food the Lord has given you to eat." Verse sixteen. These are the Lord's instruction. He says, each household should gather as much as, notice the word, it needs. It needs. He says, pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. So some gathered a lot, some a little. And we understand as the narrative goes on, it tells us that those that gathered too much and tried to hold on to it, it it, it didn't, didn't go well for them. Because what God is showing us within this particular passage of scripture, I believe, is he's showing that the manna and the quail represents direct provision through trust. Direct provision through trust. Again, this is another thing that you learn within the wilderness. Direct provision through trust. And that's the reason why your money won't last for so long, because he says, trust me. That's the reason why you think, well, I'm just going to store this up. and When you're in the wilderness... You have enough. <laughs> okay? We're not talking about excess. You have enough. This is what you have. And you say, well, how? Because you're doing just like the Israelites. He's trying to store up some manna just in case he don't rain it tomorrow. <laughs> okay? The man in the coil is direct provision through trust. It is where we see where God is teaching in the wilderness this area of shepherd. I am your shepherd. Turn over to Psalms 23. Let's look at this. Y'all with me? Okay. <laughs> Psalms 23. This is a part of what you learn in these, these, in these seasons. Again, that God is your shepherd. Now a lot of us say that and I, I guarantee particularly you know people of color, most people can quote that. But they don't bid more believe the Lord is their shepherd. <laughs> Because in the first line of the passage of Scripture, this is where people say, well, look here, I'm out, reverend. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He said, well, I'm wanting for a well, lot. <laughs> he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, it might be a faith statement right now. But it might be a situation where, you know, again, in, like with the children of Israel, they didn't have any wants. Every day was taken care of. And in the New Testament, we understand he says, casting the whole of your care on him, for he cares for you. If you don't have an abundance right now, but you have enough, then the Lord has been your shepherd and you don't have a want. Light's still on. <laughs> <laughs> you say, but I don't have a house I want to hear. I understand, but you got a house, though. I don't have a car I want to hear, but you got a car, though. He says, he making me lie down in green pastures. So the Lord, when he is your shepherd, he determines where you lay down and where you don't. He leads me beside still waters, So he determines the, the peace that resides with me. He determines where I should rest. And he determines the, the stillness of the waters of the peace that I operate in. Because he's shepherding me. He restored my soul. He's the one that will give you rest for your mind, your will, and your emotions. He leading me... In the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So he leads me the way he wants me to go. And he's doing it for his name's sake. Which means as my shepherd. He's not going to lead me down a path that hurts me. Because that that would make him a bad shepherd. Jesus says I'm the good shepherd. <laughs> the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. One of the things that you'll notice within scripture as well. How much God has an affinity toward shepherds. We see it in the Christmas story. He didn't go tell the priest, you know, that uh, Christ, the Lord, is here. He goes talk to shepherds. He says, "David, a man after my own heart. He's not out in the army. He's nowhere. He said, out in the field, shepherding flock. because the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep." And he's saying consistently within Scripture, "I am the good shepherd." He says, I am the one that leads you round the righteous path, and I do it for my sake." If you think about it literally with a shepherd, why would a shepherd lead his sheep to harm? That's not within their nature. Within their nature is to protect them, to feed them, to care for them. But most of us look at God from time to time and say, where are we going? Why are we going this way? <laughs> I don't understand. And he's saying, wait, well, if you follow me, I'll my name is on your life to take care of you but you still got to understand that until you become a sheep and not a goat you will never have the benefits of being shepherded okay verse number four he says yea though I walk through the valley of the notice the word shadow of death and we understand that there's literally a place overseas (laughs) Defined as the shadow of death But again we're looking largely figuratively Tonight He says though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil The shadow You know the shadow takes out a lot of Christians It ain't the real No 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 It They said they're coming They're not here A threat will put you in a position of panic If you allow it to Just a threat over your life God says I am your shepherd You hear something that's counter to what your shepherd says and it's just a threat over your life. The shadow of death. The shadow of a a problem that you have. He says because I have my security in the shepherd he says I will not fear for thou art with me. My shepherd doesn't leave. My shepherd is always there. A good shepherd is watching for the sheep when the sheep don't know what they're looking at. That's a bear, that's a lion. That is something that is a threat to them. The shepherd gets up and he gets ready to protect. He says, watch this. Thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. The rod and thy staff. Rod represents discipline. The staff represents direction. They come from me. Your corrective hand within my life and your direction within my life are a sense or a place of comfort for me. At least they should be. He said, Thou prepareth a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You do not have enemies in heaven. So he has to be talking about here on this earth. He prepares a table for you in the very presence of your enemies. We'll talk about it another time, the table of the Lord. Thou anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. He anoints me afresh to be able to function in life. He says, surely, the word surely literally is most assuredly, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, most of us, again, if you grew up in a traditional church background, we understand grace and mercy shall follow me. But he says, surely, goodness. Goodness is going to be there as well because God is your shepherd. Goodness shall follow me. The the song, that's the reason why the song, The Goodness of the Lord... As caught on fire because it's rooted in the scriptures, his goodness is following you. I don't feel like it. He says it's following you. He says, All the days of my life, are you still here? You say, Well, I had a bad day today. Well, I understand that he said his goodness is following you. He says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, I will dwell in the presence of God. So, once again, the of And the quail represents the direct provision that comes about through trust, the shepherding of the Lord. Let's speed up a little bit, y'all. This is, is, you're taking, taking my time, class, come on now. Taking my time, let's let's move on, we ain't got to Joshua. All right. All right, the wilderness also represents mental cultivation mental cultivation, a season of training, and we've also said this, a season of development. Turn over the Numbers chapter number 13. Season of training and a season of development. Wilderness represents this area of mental cultivation. <coughs> In Numbers chronicles the last of the last gasp, if you will, of the children of Israel. Because this generation is just... They're not, they're not going to make it. Moses sends <clears throat> 12 leaders into the land to spy it out. They all come back with a bad report with the exception of the two, Joshua and Caleb. We remember that. Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. This is the report that the other 10 come back with. He says, uh, the King James, and there we saw giants and the sons of Aon which come from the giants. And we were, notice he says, in our own sights as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sights. Now, who told you that's the way they looked at you? He says, first and foremost, we were in our own sights as grasshoppers. So they already saw themselves as inferior. Now. God did not see them that way. The people around them didn't see them that way because we understand as you turn over into the book of Joshua, particularly as we talk about Jericho, the Bible says that Rahab said, no, everybody's hearts were melting in fear about them. But they didn't have that mentality about themselves. This is the reason why we spend so much time talking about the righteous mind because the righteous mind, <clears throat> is a mind that rejects this area of inferiority. Well, I'm black. So I'm no, no 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 I'm a child of the king. I, I'm a servant of the most high God. It don't matter what color I am, God can promote me even when you don't like me. Mental cultivation is what takes place in the wilderness. So God's original intent is rebirth, preparation, provision, and cultivation, which is a restoration. That's what we see within this wilderness experience. Every delay was the fault, was not necessarily the fault of of God. It was the fault of Israel. Turn over, if you will, to Joshua chapter 1. Let's speed up just a little bit. Joshua chapter 1. Then let's compare and contrast just a bit in regards to what we're seeing in the book of Joshua. Because this is one generation... That begins to change. But we also see because of what we saw within numbers, Joshua, particularly the Bible says that Caleb tries to say, hey, hey, we can take it. We can take it. And and and, and they, they, they don't believe him. And they rebel in chapter 14 in numbers against Moses and Aaron again. And then God says, I'm done with them crazy part about that story that is really interesting, if you keep reading, is eventually they do get some confidence. and say, all oh, right, we're going to take it. And Moses looking at them and like, it's too late now. <laughs> Y'all, quit. you're going to die tomorrow, okay? No, we can do it, <laughs> because there's a season to do stuff. Okay? And Elias went up there the next day, and they did die. They didn't make it. Because God says, no, no, that generation, because they won't shift in their mentality, are not ready for the promised land. Now, touch your neighbor and say, wake up. (laughs) Joshua Joshua chapter one. All right. Look at the Joshua generation. I want to broaden this out because, you know, you've heard it said, you know, the Joshua generation. Like, you know, so if I'm not in the Joshua generation, what generation am I? Right. I want us to look at it more of a concept of conquering, a time of conquering. The Joshua generation as being a a, a time of advancement, a time of of conquest, if you will. That the Joshua generation represents a time of conquest, which is gaining new ground and new territory. It is the advancement. Joshua 1 verse 1 says, now after Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, let me back up just a little bit. Hold, hold there. Let's back up, and let's do a little bit of a backstory once again. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 34. This Bible study, everybody, good. <laughs> All right. Deuteronomy chapter 24. So, before we can look at this pass of the baton, let's let's say, let's look at the pass of the baton before we start looking at the concepts that we can gain within the book of Joshua. As what I would define as a supplementary. Notice the scripture says, Deuteronomy 34 and verse number 9, it says, Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just, I'm reading that the New Living Translation, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, I ask the question here in verse 34, I'm in mean chapter 34, well, when did he lay his hands on them? Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. That's where you'll see where, in fact, uh, there is this laying of hands. Verse 12 says, one day the Lord said to Moses, climb one of the mountains east of the river and look over. Uh, the land I have given the people of Israel. After you have seen it, you will die like your brother Aaron. Because he made the determination because of disobedience that Moses would not be a part of the conquering generation, right? He says, for both of you rebelled against my instructions in the wilderness of Zen. When the people of Israel rebelled, you failed to demonstrate my holiness to them at the waters. That really was the essence of the reason why Moses didn't make it. Because when he came up with his own way or methodology, he was not understanding the concept of leadership. We're not going to talk about that because we have, haven't got so much time. And there the waters let uh, let's drop down. So the higher leadership Essentially, that you are in it requires more commitment, fidelity, and loyalty, i.e., holiness. We understand that, right? All right, let's keep moving. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, you are God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man, a leader for the community. So, what we see, good leadership cares about the organization beyond their leadership. Right now, we are in the midst of a generational shift across the board. and if you're wanting to find what is a good leader versus one that is not is one that don't give a care what's coming behind Moses is already knowing that he's not going to cross over into the promised land he doesn't say well I brought him out here and I ain't going to make it forget them <laughs> Moses says Lord you got it you got I got to have someone to pass the baton to side journey here Moses has two sons uh, God don't tell in the past to his sons. Because <laughs> yeah, the kingdom of God didn't operate like, like you think. God knows who is supposed to be in the position. Verse 17, he says, give them someone who, guide, who will guide them where, wherever they go and will lead them into battle. Notice the word battle, because Moses understands what it's going to take in order for them to possess the land. It's going to take conquest. So he says, lead them into battle. He says, watch this. So the community of the Lord will not be like sheep. Watch the word without a shepherd. Verse 18. The Lord replies, take Joshua, son of Nun. Notice this. He says, who has the spirit in him and lay your hands on him. Now, I want you to notice the new international version of the Bible says something different. It doesn't say who has the spirit in him that verse or that translation says the Lord said to Moses take Joshua the son of Nun a man in whom the spirit of leadership in whom the spirit of leadership and lay your hands on him Joshua had already possessed the spirit of leadership before uh, Moses ever laid hands on him right because God promotes prepared people we yeah, God. Moses didn't have say Joshua. Who who, is who, 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 in the world is Joshua? you never see Joshua. Jo- Did anybody know Joshua? No, because he was always there. He was already a leader. And he says, "He, I want you to pass the baton to him." Influential or influence alone is not leadership. Leadership is the capacity, is the capacity to influence others through inspiration, motivated by passion, generated by a vision, produce by a conviction ignited by a purpose this is from dr Moreau's book on the spirit of leadership you need to be someone that is already a leader in order for you to be moving into an area of leadership now where am i supposed to become personal leadership in this area called the wilderness that's where Joshua learned How to be a leader That's where he learned how to lead in battle That's the reason why when God said exalt I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in position The nation didn't say Anybody, once again, did anybody know Joshua? No, he had already been in position Slap your neighbor and say wake up <laughs> All right <laughs> All right so let's go back over to Joshua chapter 1. Okay? Everybody good? All right. Joshua chapter 1. Once again, Joshua chapter 1, he says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over, notice the word over, this Jordan. Go over this Jordan. We said again, the Joshua generation represents a time of conquest, gaining, it is not the wilderness, it is a gaining new ground and new territory, but it's also built on the establishment of what came before it. Oh, your church is flourishing, is it? Well, it's built on something. All your business is doing something, it's built on a foundation. You did not just come here by yourself, okay? Joshua also, the Jordan represents new methods but same principles. New methods but same principles. Now, I want you to notice this. The Red Sea represents a time of immersion. A time of immersion. The Bible even says in Exodus 14, the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. So in other words, it was a time when they went down into it. This is the Red Sea experience, right? Now, Joshua chapter 3, notice this. Joshua chapter 3, y'all still, y'all still there? Yeah. I know oh, I'm throwing a lot at you down. I actually have a question. Mm-hmm. Because I, I was real and I saw that so the new generation was a circumcised. Mm-hmm. Why did God wait to have them circumcised? Because from my past readings, I, I determined that circumcision was like a covenant. It's correct between God and His people. Mm-hmm. So why didn't He? Why when Joshua came in a the leadership, then He go ahead and tell him to go ahead and have them circumcised then before they started going like marching to Jericho and crossing the Jordan and stuff like that? I submit to you for the reason that we've been talking about loyalty because God asked for loyalty after he's already shown you some things mm. the same thing we, we, if we go back to the originator with Abraham God does certain things for him and then he says All right, I want you to cut this covenant in your flesh in your since the, we understand by New Testament that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit well where is the altar for men, particularly, if you can control that, then we can get a lot of other control within your life. <laughs> now, I ain't even begin on men's meetings yet, but I'm. <laughs> men's meetings are going to be a little bit different. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, what was I saying? All right. Um, so look at Joshua chapter number three. Notice this, though. It says In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, Lift up the ark of the covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Now, in the Red Sea, there wasn't no covenant because they hadn't, they hadn't there yet. There wasn't an establishment of a, of a point of where the presence of God was there. It was a time of immersion. It was a time where they're getting ready to enter into the wilderness. But notice he says to Joshua, I want you to take my ark first into that water. So I submit to you, when you're in conquest, Jordan, the passing over the Jordan means in conquest the presence of God goes before you. When you're getting ready to take over new territory, the presence of God goes before you. When you are getting ready to go to the wilderness, He with you and you're getting ready to learn. But when you're getting ready to take over new territory, He goes before you. That's the reason why we see, you know, uh, the captain of the whole shows up because there's something that's getting ready to happen in the realm of the spirit that's going to manifest. And that's the reason why the first place where they conquer Jericho, God says, huh, this is my total victory. So once again, the Jordan represents new methods, but the same principle. God also tells Joshua that today I'm going to exalt you in the eyes of the people. And from that day on, they didn't have any problems. Now I want you to notice something as you continue to read the book of Joshua as well is that Joshua technically really doesn't have any more failures. For everybody said everybody failed. Where did Joshua fail? The only place where he had a failure is when one of the people that under him took something out of Jericho. And he had to do what leaders have to do. You take responsibility for those that are underneath your covering. And you have to deal with that directly. But Joshua never fails because he saw what happened with Moses. He, did, he didn't have a problem with disobedience like Moses. At the end of the book, he said, "As for me and my house, let me some of the last words I'm going to say to you, we still going to serve the Lord. Now, I, I think that you should do the same. But over and over again, we see him moving into conquest. And he does it away from this notion that everybody has to fall. Because Joshua stands as stark proof that it's possible to succeed. So, do you think that the um, the, uh, the guy we were talking about earlier, hmm? where he fired Potentially do you think that that was a test to see if his loyalty was going to be with what God said or what what the people probably said? Because I think it was another ruler oh you're talking about uh, asa well there's a lot more asa the king asa we we i let me not make that statement there there, because I, I gave you the tail end of the story on sunday there's more to it <laughs> yeah I, i'm not gonna make that leap right this second all right as we get ready to close all right all right so once again rebirth preparation and provision cultivation is what we see within the wilderness It's what we see with Moses right it is for the restoration but one of the things you'll notice with conquest is restoration is over they moving forward characteristics of the joshua generation is joshua's generation doesn't complain one of the things you see start within the old uh old uh leadership of moses is over and over again Moses got to deal with complaining murmuring people you don't see that. If you start looking in the book of Joshua, you'll see an absence of that because the Joshua generation understands that obedience is better than sacrifice. They understand that God can take care of them. They don't. They, they're they not like their parents. And sometimes that's why God will wait a generation out and say, all right, I got to wait for the kids. OK. I've I tried to get your mama and your dad tried to get your grandparents to obey me they won't obey so I'm just going to wait I'm just going to wait and you watch and what happens in the fourth generation is it just seems like just the blessing <laughs> just shows up and you're like what, what happened it's because God has been waiting for a generation that he could bless you remember scripture we read uh, I don't even have it in these notes right here on a Sunday that God is looking across the earth looking for someone that will be faithful to him committed to him how many generations did he have to wait to get abraham i wonder because i always when i look at genesis chapter number 12 you cannot ignore genesis chapter 11 where it says distinctly that abraham's daddy was on his way to canaan what happened i wonder sometimes within our lives if is god taking us through a wilderness experience because he's saying alright you will do what your parents wouldn't and that's why it might take so long because you are carrying the weight of not just your generation but multiple generations and he says when I release you you got to be ready look at Joshua chapter number five as we speed up <laughs> Joshua chapter number five all right. Now, we talked about, again, we're doing a little bit of a compare and contrast tonight <clears throat> between the two different generations. Now, we just talked about a little while ago this area of manna and quail, right? Now, notice in Joshua chapter number five, the Bible says this, No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from the time, uh, from the time on, on the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. So I, the end of the manna and the quail represents a time in which you are to live from by or in it, from it, by it or in it. It is the time where you live in, live in that ministry, in that business, the time of that calling, the things have shifted. You'll know when the time has shifted because the manna will stop. And last but not least, the conquest that you see within the scriptures of uh, Joshua is that you see something different. God says something very distinct to Joshua. They didn't say per se, uh, to Moses, he says, be strong and courageous. So we see mental resolve, which is vastly different than what we saw with the previous generation. Again, the Joshua generation... And as you look through the book of Joshua, like I said before we got started tonight, you know, even one of my professors uh, professors indicated to us, it's quite bloody. But you got to understand there is a divine purpose to everything Joshua is doing. That he is the hand of God bringing judgment to the land of Canaan. At this juncture of history. And you got to see as well that God uses other nations to bring justice or judgment to Israel when they get out of hand as well. But within Joshua, where they're taking the land, he is claiming the land that was already promised to his forefather, Abraham. And also we know historically there were certain rituals and things that were going on in, in Canaan that, you know, God was dealing with. Um yeah, but there was a lot of them that fall into that category. That's you know, so I'm I'm cautious on that. Um But if you largely look at it, I mean the territory that they gain by the book of by the end of Joshua, it begins to become a struggle by the time you get to the book of Judges because they move away from the things of God. Again, I want you to notice. The crossing. Let me emphasize that as we close. The crossing over the Red Sea in one generation representing represents a time of immersion, a time of salvation, the basics. But the crossing of the Jordan represents a time of conquest, which means it's a time to gain new ground, which means it's going to require a fidelity, it's going to require commitment, it's going to require holiness. I was watching uh, a TV show. Uh, I think it's one of the. I can't remember, like a Western, and they brought up something that had not really come to my thinking about rivers. We are so used to riding over rivers, we don't even think about it. We got bridges, we just, you know, down here's the Catawba River, you might go back and forth over there, you don't think nothing about it. There's a bridge out there, bless God, you just ride it. Now, having worked for the state for some years, I think a bridge is a little bit different because I know there's work to put that bridge out there. It doesn't just manifest. You know, there has to be some probing. How deep is the river? How how, how many spans is it going to take? Well, if you go back another generation, one of the things you'll discover is that the way they looked at water bodies of waters is vastly different than the way we do now. They came on horse and buggy and they came to a river that was flowing. They didn't know what was there. They didn't know how deep the river was. So. If you have on one side you have Israel and on the other side you have Jericho Jericho felt pretty safe because you got walls and you got this body of water. God by drying up the river was showing his dominance over that even going into the, to the land of Canaan. Saying that no what is impossible for another generation won't be impossible for you you will be able to walk over something that drowns other people because it was at flood stage. It, 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 again, it escapes the way we think today because we don't think of water this way. But I mean, how many miles did historically did people have to go around to try to find a shallow area to cross over? God says, no, carry my presence right down here and I'm going to dry up this. And not only am I going to dry it up, I want you to take rocks from the center of the river and then they're going to be a memorial. Why? Because it was to say to another generation, God is still the God that can do the impossible. This is different from the Red Sea. This is the entrance into conquest. And one of the things you will discover when God calls you to start taking new territory, there's certain things he's going to do. And he's going to say, I want you to set that as a memorial, set that as a memorial. So you'll be reminded every place of the journey that I'm still the God that can do the impossible. Questions? Comments? (laughs) All right, let us pray. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word on tonight. Lord, we thank you for whatever season that we are in. We thank you, Lord, that you are the master of all. And, Lord, we'll learn, just like the children of Israel, how not to complain in the wilderness. We'll learn, just like the Joshua generation, Lord, when you're calling us to take new territory, how to be uh, strong and courageous. Lord, whatever state we find ourselves in, we'll be just like Paul, and we'll learn to be content. And we give you praise for it. Thank you that you are our great shepherd, and that you care for us, that you protect us, that you feed us. And we thank you, Lord, for teaching us these lessons. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone to say, Amen.